And Father, we thank you for this great opportunity to come together as your people who belong to you and trust you and are safe in you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak your words into our lives now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You know, there's this guy. He was an old farmer, lived way, way, way out in the country. And it just so happened that there was a busload of politicians that were headed for a convention. But because of some construction, they had to be detoured through the country. And the bus driver was not really familiar with the road, and it was really windy. He ended up going off the road and crashing through this old farmer's fence and running the bus all the way down below and into some trees. Well, the farmer, he was on his way out the other side of his property. He noticed a gaping hole in the fence of his property, so he drove his truck down there to see what was going on. And sure enough, he saw down on the bottom, you know, this wreck of so many politicians. So he went back to his truck and he got a shovel and he buried all the politicians. <laughs> well, since the politicians never arrived at their destination, a state trooper was sent out to backtrack and see what happened to him. Sure enough, he found the country road detour and saw where the fence was busted in. He went down below and as he's going down there, he sees the farmer coming out with a shovel, and he says to the farmer, what happened here? And the farmer said, well, there was an accident, and I buried all the politicians. Well, the state trooper said, didn't you call the coroner? I mean, all of them might not have been dead. And the farmer said, well, some of them kept saying they weren't, but you know those politicians, they tend to lie. Well, this week, we're being bombarded by politicians that want our vote, and we're being told all sorts of reasons why we should be convinced to vote for them. Now, it is important that every one of us vote. This election is big. So something Tuesday is happening that is very big, but something even bigger than that is happening on Tuesday and every day after that. Now, of course, we know something big is happening on Tuesday. We have an election that may prove to be the most important election of the history of our country. We have a country that is so divided, angrily divided, and in each case, they believe that to support the other candidate is to cause our nation to go off some sort of cliff of no return. So something definitely big is going on Tuesday, and as Christians, we should all be involved in that. But something bigger than that is happening Tuesday. Something way bigger than that is happening Tuesday, November 3rd, and every day after that. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5. Apostle John is writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor that we know of today would be modern Turkey. Now, he is writing in a time of crises, a time when the followers of Jesus needed some encouragement, needed some reassurance, needed some strengthening, needed some hope. And here's what he writes, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Grace to you and peace from him who is 
and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that's the phrase I want us to focus on this morning as we approach uh, November 3rd election. I want us to focus on this phrase, Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is a ruler of the kings of the earth. That is what the Apostle John means when he writes in the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and chapter 19, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And this is what I think is so important that we as Christians know today, and I think Christians all over this country need to know as we approach this election that Jesus Christ is the ruler of all of the kings and the presidents and the chiefs and the premiers and the governors and the prime ministers of the whole world. When Jesus rose from the dead, God exalted him. God the Father exalted him and says, and gave him the name which is above every other name. That the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. That means if every knee would bow, that means the knees of every ruler, every king, every president will bow. So here's what's so important that we understand as we approach this day that I think is going to be a very tumultuous time in our country is that Jesus is alive right now. He's alive and he's presiding from heaven right now over the rulers of the earth. And really, this is a stunning thought to think about this. It's something that I don't think most people, I don't even think most Christians think about. I think most Christians don't even really believe is true. But it is true that Jesus Christ is alive and he is reigning right now over the kings of the earth. He is reigning over the events of the Middle East. He's ruling over the events of China and Russia and Africa, India, and he's ruling over the events of America right now. Now, what does it mean? I want us to break this down because there's some truths that I want us to really get. And I hope that these will just really become part of your thinking today. These simple truths. There's going to be five truths I want to derive from the fact that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And how that should affect how we're viewing what's happening in our nation right now. The first truth is this, if Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, the ruler, he is the ruler of all of the presidents and so forth. What does it mean? First thing it means is this. It means that he controls who becomes president and who doesn't. All right. How do I, where do I get that from? I want to put two passages together that are really important. Number one passage, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says this. It is he, talking about God, it is he who changes times and seasons. He, God, removes kings and establishes kings. Or some translations say sets up kings. He takes them down, sets them up. Who does this? God does this. So God has the authority to take down a ruler and put up a ruler. He has the authority. 
All right, now here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now think about that. All authority, that must include the authority to take down a ruler and to put up a ruler. If that authority belongs to God to take down kings and presidents and put up, you know, establish kings and presidents, if that authority belongs to God and all authority has been given to Jesus, then that means that Jesus has been given the authority to pick the president of the United States. So on Tuesday, everyone's going to go and vote and cast their ballot. And while all of us are casting our ballots, Jesus will cast his ballot. And whoever Jesus chooses will be president of the United States. Do you believe that? I just want you to let this truth sink in for a moment. Because I think there's a lot of anxiety among Christians right now. We need to be involved. We need to vote. We need to do all these things to be good citizens. But let this truth sink in. On Tuesday, as we're casting our ballots, and many of you already have voted, Jesus will cast his ballot. And whoever Jesus chooses will be president in the United States. He has the authority. It's been given to him by the Father. Now, that doesn't mean that every king or president lives an obedient Christian life. The Lord often uses, even we see it in the Bible, he often uses even ungodly leaders to accomplish his higher purposes and achieve his plans on the earth. We see that. In fact, sometimes Jesus will use leaders and their bad decisions even and Make their, you know, take their bad decisions and even unwise bad decisions and fit that into a greater plan that he has for history. He has that much power and authority. And you think, well, how does all that work? Well, the ways of Christ are not simple, neither are they easy to understand. And that's why the Apostle Paul said this in Romans eleven thirty three: Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. The truth is Jesus is ruling. He's taking down leaders and putting up leaders. And we don't understand everything that's going on in this election. We don't need to understand everything that's going on in this election. But one thing we can know for sure is that something is bigger is going on than we think. You can know that for sure. So the first thing I want us to understand based on this truth that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth is that Jesus is the one who will take down a leader and set up a leader. Jesus will pick the president of the United States next week. Jesus will pick him. Now that should cause peace to just run all over us. I mean, we can, we can fight for a candidate, pray for him, and work for him, but we can relax in the midst of all that because Jesus is going to pick them. All right, there's a second truth that we draw from this 
truth that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Second truth is this. It means that Jesus will regulate what the kings on the earth do. He will actually regulate what they do. As a ruler of the kings of the earth, he will regulate. He will bring his authority to bear on what they do. Sometimes that means he'll hold them back from doing even more evil than they want to. And sometimes that means he'll take their decisions, even bad ones, and order international events for the furtherance of his purposes. That's how powerful he is. Let me give you some examples of this happening in the Bible. For example, in Genesis chapter 20, we read about how Abraham went down to Gerar, south of Canaan. And remember, Abraham had a beautiful wife, Sarah. And to protect himself, he lied about her being his wife, thinking his life might be in jeopardy. And he said that she was his sister. Well, Abimelech was told that Sarah, this beautiful woman, was only his sister. So Abimelech takes Sarah into his harem. And that night, Abimelech has a dream. And God visits this pagan king, this unbelieving king. God visits him in a dream and threatens him with death if he does not give Sarah back to Abraham. Now, Abimelech, in the dream, now Abimelech is protesting his innocence to God. He didn't know about this. He hadn't touched her. And here's what God says in Genesis 20, verse 6. He says, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you've done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So what this means is this. It means that sometimes God will intervene and prevent rulers who don't even know him from doing acts of sin, right? He did it there. So sometimes God will do that. Sometimes God, you know, he, he is, this authority that God has, he's given to Jesus, his son, is to regulate and, or the rulers of the earth and sometimes constrain what evil they would like to do. They'd be inclined to do. He can regulate that, and he does. And sometimes he'll take a decision they made that's a bad decision. He'll actually use it, twist it, turn it for his higher purposes on the earth. And here's the truth. Right now, right now, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And right now, he is undoubtedly restraining things that, are, that the leaders of China want to do and Russia want to do and North Korea want to do. And many places, they are being restrained by Jesus Christ. Because he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Sometimes he restrains the Abimelechs of the world. Sometimes he allows their sinful decisions to take its course, and then he steers it for his greater purposes. That's how powerful he is. Let me give you another example. In the Old Testament, it's very clear. In fact, Fred reminded us during the communion devotional that Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. That was prophesied hundreds of years before the coming of Messiah, but God chooses a young woman in Nazareth to bear this child. What happens? How is God going to get her to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy? Well, Caesar Augustus, 
he orders a census to be taken in the whole empire, and they all have to go back to the place of their heritage, and that means Joseph and Mary have to go back to Bethlehem. And they get there just in time for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and fulfill the prophecy. Now, humanly speaking, Caesar Augustus is not making a decision trying to make sure he fulfills a prophecy. Caesar Augustus is making a decision for himself, for the betterment of his life and his kingdom. He's not thinking about God's kingdom. He's thinking about the Roman Empire. And so he's actually functioning in a self-centered, self-promoting, evil way. And God takes that decision for the census, and everybody has to get back to the town of their heritage, and he takes that decision. God will use it now to get people where they need to be to fulfill prophecy. See, God rules the nations in order to fulfill salvation history. And all that authority is given to Jesus. He's a ruler of the king's of the earth. And he's ruling over nations in order to accomplish his redeeming work for men. Now, this is the real meaning of what is happening in this election. Jesus right now is planning new things for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, we should be praying, I think, for understanding, Lord, how do we stay, keep in step with what you're doing here? But whatever he's doing, it is he is regulating it. He is regulating it for what purpose? For salvation history, for his higher purposes. He will use it for his purposes. He is not going to be caught off guard on Tuesday. He is in full control. So something big is going on Tuesday, but I tell you, something a lot bigger than we think is going on. There's a third truth that we can derive from this simple truth that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The third truth is this. It means that he will arrange for leadership that brings about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I want you to notice this connection in Matthew 28 between verse 18 and 19 that we read over sometimes too quickly. Here's what Jesus says. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. See the connection? All authority has been given to me, he says. Now, okay, so how are you going to exert that authority? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He wants to bring that authority to bear, to bring about the fulfillment of this great commission of making disciples from all nations. That's his goal. He's got all authority. Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to exert that authority over the kings of the earth to what? To do what? To bring about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You know, so when you think about what is behind him raising up certain leaders and taking down certain leaders, you know what's behind it? The fulfillment of the Great Commission. What is on the heart of Jesus in raising up and taking down leaders? It's this mission making disciples of all the nations. Let me give you another example of the heart of God here. Isaiah chapter 6, familiar passage. King Uzziah has just died. Okay, so understand that Isaiah chapter 6, 
Isaiah is about to see into the throne room of God. But understand that King has just died. King Uzziah is dead. They are now in the sense of, okay, what's, where's, where's the, what's the next leader going to be like? Who's he going to be? What's he going to do? So a new leader is going to rise up in the nation. In the midst of all this, this is a time of transition. And Isaiah goes to the temple in the midst of this to worship. And what does he see? He sees into the throne room of God. Let's just read it. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe was filling the temple. And I think you could almost add there, and he wasn't nervous. Verse 2, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah the prophet, I said, woe is me. For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me, having a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Lo, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8 now. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, I stop right there. It's the first time God speaks in this whole scene. We hear Isaiah speaking. We hear angels speaking. Now God speaks. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. So Isaiah sees the Lord on his throne. And he's undone. Isaiah is undone. He's then cleansed from his sin, but then a question comes from God, from the throne. And the question is, and here's where you see where God's heart is. What is the heartbeat of God all about? Who will go for us? There's a mission. Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah answers the question, I'll go. I really want you to see what's happening here. In the midst of God putting a leader in place, a new leader for Israel at this, at this particular time, what is on God's heart in the midst of taking down a king and setting up a king? What is on his heart is fulfillment of what he wants done on the earth. That's what's on his heart. And that's going to determine what leader he puts in place. Doesn't mean he's a, a good leader, a godly leader. It just means he's a leader that God wants in place to accomplish his mission. And his mission today is fulfillment of the Great Commission. Today, something big is going on Tuesday, but something a lot bigger is going on. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is going on, and this election is going to be a somehow going to be a small part of how God is going to use whatever leadership is in place to accomplish this. Okay? There's a fourth thing, a fourth truth we derive now from the fact that Jesus is a ruler of the kings of the earth. Fourth thing. It means that the causes of Jesus will triumph. The causes of Jesus Christ will triumph. The reign of Christ over the kings of the earth today means that he will triumph and bring about his saving purposes on the earth. He will win. He cannot lose. He can't lose. That's why it says, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, 
For he, Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He will do that. That's why in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He will do it. He can't lose. That's why Revelation 17, 14, the kings of the earth are arrayed in battle against Christ. And then says this, these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he's Lord of lords and king of kings. Because he can't lose. He will triumph. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He cannot be defeated. His causes cannot lose. He will triumph. Author, pastor and author John Piper rightly says this way, this should be our perspective and confidence this election season. Christ will surely be triumphant in his reign over the kings of the earth. All the developments on Tuesday are steps to a decisive triumph. Whoever gets elected on Tuesday is a step toward a decisive triumph by Christ to achieve his higher purposes. So again, just relax. Jesus can't lose. But there's one more thing that we need to know. Because Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, the fifth thing, final thing is this. It means that Christ is ordering the world and America for the good of the church. Christ is ordering the events in this world and in this country for the good of the church. You know, it's, it's important that we understand that Christ has not promised. You don't, we don't have a verse in the Bible. Christ has not promised to order the world for the good of America. We don't have a Bible verse for that. We pray for the blessing of this country, but we don't have a promise from Christ that he will order the events of the world for the good of America. We have no promise. But we do have a promise that he will order the events of the world for the good of the church. He is committed to ordering the events of the world for the purification of the church, the unity of the church, and the expansion of the church. He's committed to it. He's promised to do it. Let me just give you one verse, Ephesians 1.22. It says this, And he put all things in subjection under his feet. So God the Father put all things in subjection under the Son, Jesus' feet, and gave him, gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Now, NIV actually translates this. He gave him his head over all things for the church, which I really think carries the force of this, of this teaching here, of this truth. That he actually is making, Jesus is making kingly decisions right now regarding the leaders of the world for the sake of the church. And really, when you think about it, it's an awesome thought. And I think it should really revolutionize the way we watch the news or read the newspaper and live out our lives is that to see with the eye of faith that what he's doing is he's setting up leaders and arranging events. What he has in his mind is always, always the purification, unity, and expansion of the church. He's going to build his church. 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's why I think you see this in Revelation 1, 4, and 5. I want you to notice this connection now. He says, grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. See, in other words, I think John wants us to know that the authority of Christ over the kings of the earth is designed to bring us grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. What about America? What about the future of America? What do we know about that? I do want you to see something here of a prophecy that came through the prophet Amos 2,700 years ago. It, of course, was to Israel, but I want you to see something. Amos chapter 4, I want you to notice, verse 6, God is speaking now through the prophet to the nation of Israel, but listen what he says. But I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 9, I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and a caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses. I made the stench of your camp rise up to your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, declared the Lord. Verse 11, I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Now, what is it saying here? It's saying that here is God bringing judgment upon a nation with the hope that they will realize they're wrong and repent and turn back to him. That's the whole goal of what God has done. That's what he's doing with free creatures. He's bringing enough difficulty on them that they'll realize they've gone the wrong direction. They repent and return to God. But the nation Israel did not do that. Therefore, judgment came. So what is God saying to America? I, you know, in 2020, think about 2020 for a moment. It's almost like God is saying, I sent wildfires and earthquakes and hurricanes all in record number and a plague like you've never experienced. And yet you would not return to me. I mean, think of all that America has been through in 2020, and there's been no national repentance. I mean, you can show me pockets of a good thing here and there, but there has been no national repentance. But in the midst of this judgment, Jesus is doing what he has promised to do, and that is he's going to do a great work in his church. That's what is promised. I've said before, you know, I said things may get a lot worse out there, but they will get better in here because it's, he promised. Ephesians 1.22, God's put all things under his feet. He's made him head over all things for the church. He is reigning with that in mind. Jesus will make sure that this, the results of this election are for the good of the church. He will make sure of that because he's committed to that. He promised that. 
He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So what does it mean? I just want to summarize for you as we're heading into Tuesday, and you're going to see all kinds of news cycles, have all kinds of opportunity for anxiety and fretting, anger, frustration. But Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means that on Tuesday, Jesus is going to pick the president. He sets up kings and takes them down. He will pick them because all authority has been given to him. The authority to set up a ruler has been given to Christ. He will pick the next president of the United States. And he will regulate as a ruler of the kings. He will regulate what that man does. He will regulate it. Sometimes he'll hold them back from making an even worse decision than they're inclined to make. Sometimes he'll take a bad decision and order it for his purposes on the earth. Thirdly, it means that he will arrange for leadership around the world that will bring about for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It will be done. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testament to all the ethnos, all the nations. Fourthly, because Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, we know that he will triumph. He cannot lose. Aren't you glad to know you're on the side he can't lose? We cannot lose. And finally, Christ is ordering the whole world right now, including America, for the good of his church. For our good. For our good. For our purification and our unity and expansion of the church. Therefore, grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. I do want to invite you to a special prayer meeting. We trust the Lord in all these things, but he also give, he's given us an important role to play in, in being in prayer and in other ways. But tonight from 5 to 6.30, there's child care provided. But we're going to come in here. It's going to be a fast-moving prayer meeting, worship and prayer. And we have really a lot of specific things we're going to break down and bring before the Lord and so please join us, 5 o'clock, and uh, we will be uh, on time and be done by 6.30 for those of you that need to get home with your kiddos and so forth. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the ruler of the kings of the earth. We're so glad that we belong to you. We're so glad that you will keep all your promises and you will triumph in every way. Lord, we do lift this election up to you again, Lord. We do ask you, Lord, that you would put in place those who will fulfill your higher purposes. We pray, oh Lord, you would continue to uh, just really reveal the lies that so many are, that are being told by so many. And we pray the truth would prevail. And we ask you, oh Lord, that uh, you would just do things in a way that speed up, speed up the fulfillment of the Great Commission that we might see your return in our lifetime. So we put it all in your hands. Just show us our portion in it all. We pray you bless the rest of our day. Bless our prayer meeting tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen, amen. amen.